Romans 10. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the grace that uh, that saved us, the grace that empowers us every day, the grace that that uh, that brings us together in fellowship, the the grace that will carry us home. Father, we thank you that uh, that we're alive in this day in this dispensation there are so many things that uh, that happen in the world out there Lord that um, that make us think it might have been better at another time but this is the time to be alive father and and, and we thank you for for putting us in this age and for letting us be of service to you in this world Lord uh, we think tonight about all the people and all the families of the people that that have that uh, that heartache in Haiti there, Father, and um, and we uh, we pray for your grace, especially in that situation, and tonight here, that you would guide us and teach us from your word. We pray in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter ten, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let's stop there for now. So um, here we... Are now coming into into the uh, into the midst of this section of the book of Romans in in chapter ten, and Paul's been talking about um, God and his relationship to the dispensational change that these folks are going to going through. Back in uh, in chapter nine, as you come out of that chapter, I think that. Uh, that the basic question, the central question, is there in chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And, and Paul's argument in Romans chapter 9, as we saw when we were there, is that God is sovereign in his dispensational dealings with men, and uh, the potter has the power to, uh, to do what he will with his, uh, with his own plan and his own uh, moving his plan forward. Now, as you get into chapter 10, we start to look... Uh, at the nation of Israel in particular and what their situation is uh, as a result 
of the of that dispensational change of, and of their reaction to it. And Paul says he starts out chapter ten very similarly to the way he did chapter nine. He has a very uh, strong desire for that nation. These are his uh, his kinsmen. Um, they're his people. They're his uh, former spiritual family. They are. He. he Paul. Paul has. Um, has a lot of significant deep connections to the nation of Israel. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now you want to, you want to see here uh, and, and remember this place in your Bible, Romans chapter 10, in the first couple of verses, um, understand and know that zeal for God does not equal salvation. That you can have a zeal of God. Paul says, I pray for Israel that they would be saved because they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You can have a zeal of God, but if it's not according to knowledge, if it's not according to truth, that zeal doesn't doesn't save you. Uh, come come with me to uh, Galatians in chapter one. I remember um, I remember talking with a the sweetest uh, elderly couple that you'd ever want to meet. Um, Latter Day Saints, Seventh Day Adventists, and um, and talking with them about the grace of God. And he was telling me about all of the the uh, the things that he had done, and that him and his wife had sacrificed. And 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 um, I'm trying to explain to him that it's not by good works. And the more I uh, the more I pressed the issue of it's not by good works, the more he pressed the good works that he's done in his life. And that was his his. Counter that was that that was his answer to to the word of God, um, saying it's not of good works. His answer was, but you don't understand. I've done a lot of them. It's not you know he was zealous, very zealous, but not according to knowledge. Um, Paul says here in in. Uh, in connection with what we just read, that, that the nation of Israel, Paul says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Um, he says here, verse uh, 13, Galatians 1, Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. Oh, didn't I say that? I'm sorry. Galatians 1.13 For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So Paul knew, Paul knew exactly um, what was in the heart of, uh, of these Israelites. He says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. And Paul knew what that zeal was. He was more zealous than all of them. Um, but you see what he says in the Jews' religion and in the traditions of my fathers. And that was Paul's, uh, that was Paul's zeal. That's that's uh, 
That's what he fought for. And, and you know, Paul brings this issue up uh, several times through his epistles. He, he reminds us and the churches of his, of his past. And, uh, and he doesn't do that to uh, to glory in his in his old ways, but the reason that Paul brings up his his zeal is to is to let you know and to let these folks know uh, that that he didn't turn easily. He was not a a, uh, a superficial uh, Jew. He was not a, a Jew in name only, kind of like a—I uh, was going to say a Catholic, but you know, name a denomination. I mean, you know, people go to church on Sunday, and uh, and they just as soon go, you know, one place as another. It's all the same to them. They don't know the difference. But Paul wasn't that way. He was zealous. He had a tremendous zeal uh, for his religion, and he and he. He tells you that, and he and he brings that uh, to mind several times to let us know, and to let these folks that he's talking to know that um, that it was a uh, significant uh, turning that 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 brought him around. Yes, sir. Yeah, please. In Romans ten two, it says, "For I bear them record." Mm-hmm. So I think. I don't know which. I think this is what you're saying. You're saying where it says, "For I bear them record." He's not simply saying I'm writing down a record of what they did. I bear them record. Mm-hmm. In other words, my life is the record. Yes. Of of the of, of, of having a zeal. I for I bear them record. It's kind of kind of like I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. 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 So so Paul knew, and he and he understood. Uh, full well and probably understood them better than they understood themselves being the uh, uh, profiting in the Jews religion above many my equals and being more exceedingly zealous and so forth so zeal needs to be uh, needs to be coupled with knowledge zeal without knowledge um, number one doesn't save now I'm telling you this, and I'm preaching to the choir. I understand, but again, remember where those verses are, because this comes up in your dealings with people. Um, Romans chapter ten. There. Uh, now, does that mean that zeal is a bad thing? Well, if it's not according to knowledge, it is, because you look at the apostle Paul, and he did tremendous damage. He he uh, wrecked havoc in the church of God and wasted it he says um, you, you look at people in cults today you know we Chris, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've uh, in conversations with Christians we look at some cults that are out there that are just out there working and knocking on doors and doing all of these things and, and we kind of say boy you know if Christians only had that kind of zeal uh, you know we could get something done and that's the truth, and that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's saying, look, I'll give them this, that they have zeal. And that's and zeal in and of itself is a positive thing, but zeal without knowledge is not good. It needs to be coupled with knowledge. Come over to chapter 3. We're in Galatians. Uh, chapter 4. You don't want to be without zeal. You know, the, Paul tells Titus, he says, that, you know, the Lord, he died for us that he might purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous 
of good works. And, and we don't want to be lackadaisical in our Christianity. Listen, these guys here, and you look at the cults out there, and, and, and the same with these guys that Paul's talking about. They're zealously serving the wrong thing. We've got the right thing. What greater zeal ought we to have? Um, Galatians chapter 4, verse... Um, 15. Where is then, Galatians 4.15, the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them unto me. Now that's zeal. Uh, <laughs> I'm not suggesting you do that, but am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, the, the Judaizers he's talking about, zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. So Paul says their, their zeal is, uh, is contagious. And they're zealously affecting you, but they're zealously affecting you. You remember what, uh, what the church said in, in Jerusalem when Paul went there? Uh, James said, Paul, there are many uh, brethren here, and they are all zealous of the law. And that's, that's what these guys, uh, these Galatians, were falling into. That, that uh, Jewish zeal was, was catching on in Galatia to drag them back under the law. Paul says, they zealously affect you, but not well. Look at verse 18, though. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. So zeal is a good thing, but it needs to be uh, coupled with knowledge. Paul says they've got zeal without knowledge. Now listen, what's better? Zeal without knowledge or knowledge without zeal? Now, I'm going to leave that phrasing of the question alone because I could probably answer that question yes or no. But just think about it we're responsible for the light that we have. Now, knowledge and, and faith in that truth will save you. So knowledge is better. But, you know, the Lord told these folks here, He said, you know, if you didn't know, you'd have been better off. And there is a, a, uh, an aspect and an element of, of, of reality in that for us in that if I've got light that I reject in my life I'm accountable for that I'm accountable to act on what I know look in, look in this chapter I want to show you and we're not, we're not going to spend our whole time tonight studying zeal I want to get down, down through Romans chapter 10 but um, here in Galatians, you, 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 you notice a, a word that, that repeats itself. Verse, uh, chapter 4, look at verse 9. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Look in uh, verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Look, look back up in uh, in verse twenty. 
I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. There's a lot of desire in this, uh, in this passage surrounding those verses about good and bad zeal. You remember what Paul told the, uh, the Corinthians? Look, look over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to make this connection for us because zeal is, uh, is something that, uh, that really does come from the heart. The, the, uh, the Lord, when He went in and cleansed the temple, the, uh, the verse that uh, is being fulfilled and that, is, in that, that it was tagged with that event was the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And uh, you, you remember Jeremiah said, Thy word burned in me like a fire. See, that's zeal. It's, it's something that, that comes from the inside out. Second uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to, to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. What revenge in all these things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, that's it. That vehement desire. And Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us in order to save us, redeem unto himself a peculiar people, but also to create in us a zeal for good works, to make us a peculiar people zealous of good works. And those good works uh, extend first to the church, but they don't stop there. Paul says, As you have therefore opportunity, do good to all men, especially they of the household of faith. So, you see a situation like Haiti, or a next-door neighbor, or, uh, or any opportunity. We ought to be keeping our eyes open. Where can I do good? Where can I be zealous? Where can I, where can I do good works? If I'm zealous for good works, I'm going to be looking for the opportunity because it's going to be burning in my, in my heart and, in, and I'm going to have that vehement desire that goes unfulfilled if I don't get to do something good today or this hour. Um, okay, so back in Romans chapter 10. So zeal is a good thing and, and being without it is not a good thing. But zeal without knowledge is not a good thing either and can be, uh, can be very damaging. Now we've got the knowledge, so let's see that we have the zeal. Back in Romans chapter 10, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant. Now that's redundant, isn't it? They're, it's not according to knowledge, they're ignorant. Though that's saying the same thing, isn't it? That's what, that's what ignorant means. It means that they don't have knowledge. What are they ignorant? What don't they have knowledge of? They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, we've talked about God's righteousness back in, in chapter 3 and we won't restudy the issue again. Uh, suffice it to say that that, that 
if you're going to have righteousness today and you need righteousness to be saved that's why Paul prays that they would be saved because they're not if you're going to have it it can't be your own it must be God's righteousness now now, now think about this for a second you and I we talk about this all the time and we know about God's righteousness and we rejoice in God's righteousness and, and we, 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 uh, we discuss it and, 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 and glory in it but how many people out there know how many people out there are ignorant of God's righteousness are there are there people outside of uh, of the of the true Christian community who really have any concept that righteousness God's righteousness is available to them that's not how they look at it it's their own righteousness. Well, who Paul's talking about here, he's talking about the nation of Israel, but he's talking about everyone in the world out there. Once you, when, you, when, when you get a grasp of God's righteousness, you get saved. He's talking about unsaved people as a whole. This is a, a point of ignorance and a lack of knowledge that, that this, this is where, this is the hole that needs to be filled. This is what they need out there. They need to understand God's righteousness. Now, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about, and that's that zeal, they're going about uh, to establish their own righteousness. That's my um, Seventh-day Adventist friend. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So now they haven't submitted themselves. Now that's a lack of humility. But it's a it's a it's a, a pride born of ignorance. It's a pride born of ignorance. Now the Bible talks about people who are willfully ignorant. And you can educate someone so that they won't be ignorant anymore and they'll still be ignorant because they will not submit to the truth that, uh, that, that you're giving to them. But the, but the problem is ignorance. If they would take the knowledge, it would, it would be their cure. The pride is a stopper on the top of that empty void that you're trying to fill there. So, so you've got prideful, ignorant people. But Paul says, you know what? That was me. And that was all of us. And we know that in time past, we were all of those, that list of, of, of things. So, so Paul says, you know, don't, uh, don't get too high and mighty about this. And just like Paul understands where these Jews are coming from, we understand where these people are coming from. That puts us in a good position just like it put Paul in a good position to preach to these folks. Um, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, their own righteousness, by the way, is the righteousness of the law. How do I know that? Next verse. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul says, he tells the, uh, the Philippians, you remember, you know what, come over there, uh, if you would, Philippians. 
their own righteousness. We're in Philippians chapter 3. Now here's something, we've been talking about unsaved people, and here's something that, that Christians sometimes get hung up on. And again, you want to remember where that verse is. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now what that tells me is that tells me that there was a time when the law was for righteousness. Because if there was never a time when you could get righteousness by the law, then Christ couldn't be the end of the law for righteousness. If Christ is the end of it, there had to be a beginning of it. Now, people will argue with you that righteousness never came by the law. It was always by faith. Now listen, the first statement there is incorrect. The second statement is true. Those, two th- those things aren't, aren't mutually exclusive. Yes, it's always been by faith, but when, it, when they were under the law, it was by faith in the law. Um, and it was their own righteousness. And God honored it if they submitted to it by faith. But it was their own righteousness. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse uh, 8, let's see. Yeah, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge. See, get rid of that ignorance. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now that's exactly what he's talking about there in Romans chapter 10. I brought you here to show you that my own righteousness is the righteousness of the law. So Paul says uh, back in Romans 10, they going about to establish their own righteousness, they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, Christ is the end of the law. There's, there's, uh, there's a lot of different ways that that statement is true. Christ is the end of the law in that the law ceased to be the operating uh, principle um, through the Lord Jesus Christ as, as it was given to and through the Apostle Paul to preach it. But Christ is also the end of the law in that he, is the, he, 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 he was the goal of it. He was the, the, the destiny of it. The, the, all of the law, Paul says to Timothy, he says, From a child you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise, to give you that knowledge, to get out, rid of that ignorance, unto salvation by faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament, he, he, he told those Pharisees, he said, you, it, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have salvation, and they are they which testify of me. So Paul is still here praying that these guys would be saved because they think that their salvation's in the law and the fact of the matter is that the, the law had an end, it had a goal, it had a point toward which it was always moving and trying to, to bring its people along and that point and that end was Christ. So Christ is the end, he's the goal, uh, he's the culmination, the fulfillment 
of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So righteousness used to be by the law. Righteousness is no longer by the law. Righteousness is now in Christ and it it's attained by faith. Um, verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. That is, if you do these things, you'll live. If you don't do these things, you'll die, because God will punish you and, and you won't be saved. You've got to do the things under the law. Um, Moses described that, that man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise... Now, now what Paul's going to do here is he's going to take Moses, um, get uh, hold your hand here and get Deuteronomy chapter 30, and, and let's see where Paul, when he starts to go, um, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, he's, he's quoting a Mosaic passage here, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, but then he kind of puts in his own... Uh, interpretation and and, um, and and slant on it as he quotes. And you see those parentheses in that quote in, in Romans chapter 9, and that's Paul's um, kind of adding to uh, Deuteronomy 30. Now this is an interesting passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. You want to notice in this passage that um, there is a uh, there is a covenant happening here that was different from from Sinai, but as you come to the uh, to the end of chapter twenty nine. Um, He's, he's talking about the last days. And Moses is warning Israel about what's going to happen to them and all the blessings and the curses and so forth. And the whole idea is if you do, you will live. If you don't, you'll be scattered and persecuted and, and all those things. But he ends the, uh, the chapter, chapter 29, with the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may... Uh, do all the words of this law. Now, for you and for me, Mo- Moses back here, he had some th- secret things that he uh, that he wasn't being told about. Now, you and me, we know those secret things. Now, I'm not saying that God that, that we know everything God knows. I'm saying that we know what what Moses uh, didn't. We know the mystery. We know the things that God never told Moses or any of those uh, those prophets about. And he says the things that are revealed to him and to his people are all the words of this law. That's the revelation that they got. And they were, um, were bound to, uh, to live by it. The, the passage now is... Um, get, uh, pick up verse 11, chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? You know why? Because Moses already did that. He ascended up the mountain. 
into that cloud. And he, and he got that revelation and he brought it back down to him. Well, for you and for me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, hold your hand here. You got, you're holding Romans 10, right? Let's go back and forth. Romans chapter 10. Don't, don't lose Deuteronomy 30. Um, if you didn't hold Romans chapter 10, let, let's uh, let, hold on to both passages. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. Paul says, back up in verse 5, Paul says, Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? Parentheses. That is to bring Christ down from above. So, so the, for, for the children of Israel... Uh, Moses brought that revelation down from the mountain. For, for you and for me, the Lord Jesus Christ gave uh, the revelation from heaven uh, down to, uh, to the Apostle Paul. And, and the Lord came down uh, Himself in His, in His incarnation to accomplish uh, and to make this, this message, this word of faith, uh, possible. So, back in Deuteronomy chapter 30... <clears throat> Verse 12, It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Back in Romans chapter 10. It's not in heaven uh, that you should say, Who will ascend? That is to bring Christ down from the dead. Verse 7, Or who shall descend into the deep? Parentheses again, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. So now he's talking about the incarnation and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what uh, the nation of Israel wasn't getting. That the Messiah had come. John says, whoever denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is a liar. And that was Israel's problem. They wouldn't acknowledge that the Messiah had come. So He came. We don't need to go up into heaven or send someone up into heaven to bring Christ down. He's been and He rose again from the dead. And that was their second problem. That they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept, although it, it happened before their eyes. Those two things are the world's problem out there. They won't accept that the Savior of the world has come. They, they figure a guy named Jesus probably walked 2,000 years ago, but they don't know who he was. And if they knew that he rose from the dead, how could you not believe? So these are, these are problems that, that, that carry us through. But, but what Moses is saying and what Paul is saying are, are essentially, they're both talking about the Word of God. It's interesting that Moses, he's talking about the, the, the revelation and the law. Paul takes that passage that's talking about the Word of God and the law, and he says it's talking about Christ. He kind of interprets that for us. And he says, Moses uh, said, who's going to go up to heaven and bring this law down? And Paul says, who's going to go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. And Paul equates the two. And, and in, in fact, uh, all but interprets the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that the word in that passage is Christ. 
So we have the uh, we have again the the point is Christ is the end of the law. He is he is the fruition of the law. John says, "We've seen the word of life. Our hands have handled the word of life. We have touched the word of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ." And that's what Paul is talking about here, specifically in the context that Christ is the end of the law. Moses had what they had in the in the knowledge that there were some secret things that they didn't know about. We understand those secret things, the righteousness of God and all those those things that go with it. So Moses again finish up in Deuteronomy. Um Verse 13, Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So the idea that, uh, you know, well, if God would just come down, you know, why does he have to be so mysterious? Why doesn't he just show himself? If God would just appear to everybody, then there wouldn't be a problem. If someone could just go up to heaven and bring him down for us, well, the Lord's already done that. And, uh, and they sent him back in a hurry because they didn't like it when he came down. And he didn't come down mad. Next time he's going to come down mad and they're going to like it less. Back in, back in Romans chapter 10, so Moses' point there is, you've got no excuse. This isn't something that's, uh, uh, that, that, that's, number one, beyond your grasp. Number two, it's not over your head. People say, you know, that's all. Everybody's got their own interpretation and you can't understand the Bible and everybody can make it. That's no excuse. You know what God's going to tell them? My word was not way up here where you couldn't get it. That's not how I gave it. I sent it down. I sent it down to your level so that you could get it. You refused. The problem was that not that my word was too, uh, was too hard for you. The problem was you were too hard for my word. What saith it? The word is nigh thee. Verse 8. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. There's a movement that's that's co-opted and absconded with that uh, with that phrase, the word of faith uh, movement. That's that's where that comes from. So they're they're what Paul preached according according to them. Um, we won't go we won't go all into that. But this is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, now what Paul's doing here? This is this is a um, this is something of a controversial place of scripture. Is Paul talking about? Our gospel? Is he talking about Israel and, and their gospel? Well, it seems pretty clear to me that he says this is the word of faith which we preach, and he's talking about the uh, he's talking about faith, salvation, and righteousness by faith as opposed to the law. That's why he pulls that passage out of the law and he puts Christ into it. And he says, this is what the law said, but this is what we say. Now, Paul's point here is not to be uh, 
to be super technical about uh, uh, giving us a step-by-step process whereby you can be saved. See, this passage is is the uh, is is the uh, the place where the whole altar call comes from, and you need to confess with your mouth. It's not enough to believe in your heart. But you've got to come, and then they go back to where Jesus said, "If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the angels. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the angels, and so forth." And that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is 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 coming off of that mosaic quote that he just brought uh, brought to us. Look again in verse uh, eight. What saith it? Still quoting Deuteronomy chapter thirty. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now that's what Paul is coming off of in verse 9 when he says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. So he he takes that from the Deuteronomy passage. Paul is not saying here that that if you don't confess with your mouth uh, the Lord Jesus, you're not going to be saved. He's not saying that believing in your heart is not enough. He's saying that it's not by the law. It's by faith. And he brings in uh, a couple more verses there. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth... Now now listen, let me ask you, and this point has been made before, and it's a good one. Paul says you've got to believe in your heart. When you do that, are we talking about the literal heart? Are we talking about the organ that pumps blood through your body? Is that the organ that you believe with? No. The heart is a figurative um, uh, 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 word in this context. We believe with our heart. It's not the physical heart. It's, a, it's, it's the inner man. Well, if the heart is not the physical organ that he's talking about there, why would the mouth be? Why are you gonna, why are you gonna recognize the, uh, the, the, the symbolic statement when he talks about the heart, but you're going to insist on somebody verbalizing uh, for their salvation when it comes to the mouth. To confess something is not to say something. Confess doesn't mean speak. It means to agree. To agree with. To believe. To believe and to confess. To believe and to agree are the same thing. If I agree, if God says, look, you're a sinner and you need my salvation and I sent my son to die for you so that you could have it, and I say, I agree, well, I'm believing what he said, aren't I? So, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, and then there's the whole problem of what if a person is dumb? What if he can't talk? He can't be saved. He has to burn in hell forever, right? Because you've got to confess with your mouth. So the whole the whole idea is is you're coming off of that passage there in Deuteronomy 30. That's the whole point. It is in thy mouth. The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. Moses said. So Paul takes that and he says, "Here's what we say." Um, <clears throat> if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And that is absolutely true. If you agree with God uh, uh, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now isn't 
Righteousness and salvation, the same thing? Well, no, it's not the same thing. But can you get one without the other? No, the same way you can't believe without confessing and you can't confess without believing. It, it, the, 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 the things go together. And then he brings in two more verses uh, for both of those points. Verse 11. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And the... Uh, for there is no difference, and the, the emphasis there is on the believe, but now he's playing off the whosoever in the, uh, in the Isaiah passage. He says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Another verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here again, Paul pulls two Old Testament verses talking about being saved, connects them with that, with that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30, talking about the mouth and the heart, and he brings them together here in Romans chapter 10, and he says that's the word of faith that we preach. His point is that the law was bringing you here all the while. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. And he that believeth on him uh, will not be ashamed. Uh, the, Isaiah says, "Will not make haste." That is, uh, his his hope won't be uh, won't won't be dashed. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we're going to stop there. By the way, that. Um, that passage there, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, we, we, look, we already looked back in Isaiah last time, if you remember, whosoever believeth on him shall not be uh, ashamed. That was the rock passage. Behold, I lay in Zion, a uh, uh, stone, a uh, precious cornerstone, and so forth. We looked at that. And he that believeth on him shall not make haste. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's Joel chapter 2. Now you know Joel chapter 2, we know it, we're familiar with it because Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2 talking about the, 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 the dreadful day of the Lord coming when the, when the sun's going to be darkened and the moon's going to be turned to blood and all these uh, signs are going to be coming on the earth and uh, before the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That Joel there is talking about the nation of Israel being scattered, bloody scattered over the face of the earth and that God's going to come down when, it, when it's time for redemption and that all they need to do then at that point, those believers, is to call upon Him and they, and, and they get regathered. So that's the context of that bird. Peter uses it in its context. Paul takes it right out of the context. But again, the point is that the law has been bringing you here all along and Israel should have known.